I'm an alcoholic. It's nice to see all of you. We're having a great time. It's good to be here. Uh, when they first talked to me about this, they said, we're going to have an hour for <clears throat> jails and institutions. And uh, you were the most insane, so maybe you can talk about insanity. And uh, I'm going to do that a little bit. About uh, <clears throat> a month ago, um, I was cleaning out a closet in my house, and I came across a paper bag that I had put there some time ago, years ago. Actually, right after I moved, it, it went into that closet. And uh, it had like 30, 31 Polaroid pictures in it. And uh, about 16 or 17 years ago, um, I was using a lot of crystal methamphetamine, and it made me schizophrenic, made me hallucinate, and it made me hear voices. And uh, I used to see demons. And uh, so I'd go around with this Polaroid camera because I was going to catch one on the, on the picture and prove that I wasn't insane. And uh, so I had all these pictures of, like, closets and behind curtains and uh, under things, you know. I never caught a demon. But, uh, you know, I, I look at it now and I, um, I praise God that <clears throat> I didn't stay there. Um, but... Uh, yeah, that, that's pretty crazy. That's really insane. And uh, so I'm going to start back at the beginning. I grew up in a uh, religious family, fundamental Christian, went to fundamental religious schools. And it was, was actually, um, in, in the perspective of the way kids are now, I was an angel. The worst thing I did was maybe chew gum, <laughs> you know. And uh, so I went... <laughs> I went to college and uh, very religious, devout, um, and I'm somewhere in the middle of my sophomore year, um, I, I had some friends that, that had vehicles, and they said, let's go drive over to Santa Rosa, which we did, and get some alcohol, some, some beer, some wine, and so I did that. I got drunk for the first time, and uh, we met some women, and I got... Um, I had sex for the first time, and I, I remember I came back, I had kind of a hangover, but I told my roommate, I said, the devil's really a better deal. <laughs> and I was kind of hooked into that for a while. I mean, I just really enjoyed it. I loved to go and get drunk and, and meet women, and uh, so I did that every weekend for quite a while, you know, and it was, it was like a kid at Disneyland. And uh, so anyway, about the first quarter of my junior year, I got drafted into the Army, and Vietnam conflict was going on then, and I, I had uh, altered my schedule, so I didn't have enough hours to get an exemption, and they drafted me. So I went in the service, and uh, in the service, uh, I was trained as a, uh, a medic, and uh, so... I was in a medical unit, and um, we had access to uh, uh, drugs. And uh, the, the thing is, is that I went into the service already having many weekends, probably six months or a year of weekends of, of just extreme intoxication. And I discovered in the service that in those days, this is the late 60s, 
they liked for us to drink, and they, they provided us with uh, opportunities to drink. We had NCO clubs and CO clubs. And NCO club, you could go in there and get a beer for a nickel, and a mixed drink was a quarter, you know, unless they had happy hour, and then a mixed drink was 15 cents. And uh, so, you know, for a dollar, you could go in there and get 20 beers. And uh, they preferred for us to stay on the base or the compound, wherever it was. And uh, so I continued to drink uh, when I was in the service. I'd drink every day, and, uh, and I'd, I'd get these terrible hangovers. So I, I discovered narcotics, propoxyphene or Darvon, which I would use in the morning to sort of nurse a hangover. And uh, then I would get this drug called Ritalin, which is uh, like amphetamine, to sort of speed me up, give me a little energy. And then I discovered uh, Dexamil, which... Uh, um, they used to have these big jars, like 500 or 1,000 of them, you know. And uh, so I'd take Dexamil. And uh, then I discovered Percodan, which was even better than Darvon. So I'd drink to intoxication and then get up in the morning and, and take uh, Dexamil and Percodan for a hangover. And uh, so this went on for quite a while. Uh, I didn't get into any trouble in the service. I had a kind of a lackluster career. I made rank and uh, got out and got an honorable discharge. Um, I don't want to say too much about my career in the service. It just was, you know, mostly a lot of drinking and using drugs, which was kind of the, came with the territory in the late 60s. Anyway, I got out of the service. I went back to school. I went to University of California at Berkeley, and uh, I was really motivated at this point in time, and I did well. I got good grades, and I got into dental school at Loma Linda, which is a Seventh-day Adventist school, and uh, I continued drinking. I showed up at Loma Linda and used to get drunk a lot every weekend and sometimes two or three times during the week, And uh, um, but I was friendly, and uh, um, I... I caught the attention of some of the faculty members, but not enough to get kicked out. There were uh, and there were some faculty that didn't like me, but there was more that would say things like, "Well, he's he's a nice kid. He's just going through something, you know." And and I just didn't come in on Mondays because I was hungover. And after a while, it, you know, it, it got obvious if you're only going to school four days a week and you're supposed to go five, you know, somebody starts noticing. But um, I got through dental school. I made it through and uh, graduated and got my um, diploma and I got uh, my state license and I got a DEA permit. And uh, um, I set up practice in the Bay Area. Well, actually, no, I went to Canada for a year first and made some money. Then I came and set up practice in the Bay Area. And um, I, one of the things I did was to advertise that I had IV sedation. And uh, I used to, um, all the patients would come in, I'd have a consultation with them, and I'd say, uh, you know, I can perceive that you have special needs. And I, I'd either talk them into taking some Valium before they came in or IV sedation. You know, I, I think you'd do better if you take 10 milligrams of Valium an hour before you come in. And... Uh, a lot of patients like, particularly the women patients, really like that. And they'd send their friends in because they wanted to know if they had special needs. And they all did. <laughs> so my, my practice grew rapidly. And uh, 
within a year or two, I was making a lot of money for someone, you know, that was young and, and without much judgment and just out of school and a, a drug addict and an alcoholic on top of that. I had lots of money to indulge my fantasies and my insane thinking. And, uh, I got married. I had a house and a couple of new cars and, uh, but I just, uh, you know, when I think about the insanity and the, the abuse and the way I squandered things now, it, again, I'm, I'm very grateful that, um, that I got out of that situation. Uh, anyway, I continued to use, and I started using, as, as one would guess, I started using my own narcotics, um, Demerol, dilated morphine, and... Uh, and then I needed something more powerful than Dexamil, so that's when I got hooked into crystal methamphetamine to get myself going. And you can't do that for an extended period of time without it taking its toll on you. And, uh, I mean, I developed a tolerance to Demerol where I was up to about two grams a day. And the problem with using Demerol at that level is that you start seizing and you can't control your seizures. And so I would have seizures, and uh, um, <clears throat> a couple of times I, there was what you might call police intervention. I was taken to the hospital, and uh, one night I was coming home from a bar that I owned because I, I thought it would be a good investment to, to buy a bar. So I, I bought a bar, and uh, I used to... Uh, I used to sit in there in this bar and, and drink and, and say, free drinks for everyone, you know, and then I put my arms around, boy, this is my therapy, you know, and all these drunks were in there just soaking it up, you know, because <laughs> that's the way, I. It, it's, this was a bar that catered to alcoholics, and that's the way alcoholics are, they love free drinks, and uh, so I, you know, I wouldn't even go home some nights, which is one of the reasons I... My marriages didn't last very long. Uh, but I was coming home one night, and the police pulled me over and uh, for drunk driving. And the thing is, I wasn't on alcohol. I was on Demerol. And I had a, a bag of, uh, I had an ounce of cocaine in the back seat, two ounces of methamphetamine, about 30 syringes, and uh, three bottles of uh, vials, multiple-dose vials of Demerol. So they spotted everything in the back seat, and they said, what's this, you know? And they confiscated it all, and they arrested me. And I got a good attorney, and I got out of everything on illegal search and seizure. But what it did do is it flagged the dental board on me. And uh, about a month or two later, an investigator from the dental board came into my office and wanted me to take a... Uh, um, urine, either to go with him to get a blood test or to take a urine test. I told him to go to hell. And uh, he said, well, I'm going to have to arrest you then. And I, he was a little guy. And I literally picked him up and carried him to the door and threw him out, you know. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I, I, and I told him, I said, you know, you've really got a bad attitude. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Anyway, they, he came back the next day. He had celeb seven policemen with him. And they drug me down to the hospital and, and they took some, they got some blood and I gave them some urine. And of course it was positive for, uh, narcotics. And, uh, um, the, uh, board then was on me constantly and, and so were the police. I used to get followed, uh, around and, uh, and then of course the fact that I was using, um, crystal meth didn't help because, 
You know, even if I wasn't being followed, I'm sure that I would hallucinate or imagine that I was, except that I was, because if, if I go back and look at my arrest record, it was pretty obvious that you get arrested like 10 or 11 times in three months. You know, you, you get kind of a, you get a jacket, you get notorious. And so I moved out of Alameda, which is a small little sort of quiet community. I figured I could maybe hide out in Oakland, which less affluent and much bigger. And then I, I moved my practice out of Alameda also over to Oakland. Um, anyway, I went steadily downhill from there. And pretty soon I, I couldn't make a decent decision or manage anything. And I started losing things. The dental board revoked my dental license. Um, I think I mentioned this was a second marriage, ended in divorce. And uh, my parents lived in Oakland, but they didn't want me living with them because I was a drug addict. And, and since I'd lost my dental license, um, I augmented my income by selling drugs. And they didn't want a drug dealer living with them. And uh, things got pretty bad. I uh, <clears throat> eventually ended up in a homeless shelter run by the Salvation Army. And uh, I got kicked out of that for selling drugs. That's pretty bad, you know. You end up in a shelter and you get kicked out. And uh, I, by this time, had maybe four or five years of, of just really being really impaired and possibly doing brain damage by the amount of drugs that I was using. And uh, But one day... After I got thrown off the bus, uh, I, I was walking along, and I, I had something that's kind of like a vision. I don't know now if it was a hallucination brought on by the methamphetamine or some form of schizophrenia, or if it was a true vision. It doesn't matter. It had the positive effect on me. And I, what I saw was um, I had this sense of realization that God was telling me that I was going to die, and there wasn't anything I could do about it in the form or state that I was in. And and I realized it was true, that I would be dead within a short amount of time. And um, it scared me. Um, it, it put fear in me, which is what I needed. You know, the <clears throat> second verse of Amazing Grace, he taught my heart to fear. And uh, I, I needed to be afraid. I needed to fear God. And uh, I started going to... Uh, <clears throat> meetings, and uh, I'd go to three meetings a day. I got in with a group of people. We didn't work. We just went to meetings. And for two years, I went to three meetings a day. But it was necessary because um, everything that I had going in my life, everything that I was doing, had um, some linkage to drugs, drug usage, procurement, selling, and um, there wasn't anything or anyone that I knew that wasn't in some way involved with drugs. So just going to meetings three times a day and, and concentrating on, I didn't have a car, of course, but concentrating on transportation and getting around to going to the meetings was good for me. And so I got kind of a reprieve. And the other thing is, is I didn't use for two years. And when you quit using, your head clears. And... uh Somewhere during that time, <clears throat> toward the end of the two years, I remembered that I was a dentist. <laughs> and it occurred to me it might not be a bad idea to get back to work. And uh, my head had cleared and my health returned to me. 
And uh, slowly, you know, I regained my health physically and mentally. And uh, that was <clears throat> about the time that uh, Jim mentioned that he saw me at the well-being meeting. I, I had uh, about two and a half years of, of good sobriety under my belt then. And I went to a well-being meeting, and I, I got some emotional support from the other docs there. And I got introduced to an attorney that was very effective and helpful to me and for me. And I, uh, uh, within about six or seven months, I had a hearing before the dental board. And uh, I was in front of that board for two hours and ten minutes. And, man, every one of them, every one of them had to ask me some kind of a question that, you know, they thought was clever. And uh, um, at the... At the end of two hours and ten minutes, it was over, and uh, one, one of the questions that they had was, um, and this is because uh, in my insanity, I used to uh, think fancy myself as an attorney, and so I, I did a lot of pro-per lawsuits. I was going to sue the dental board, and uh, so they, a lot of their questions had to do with determining whether or not I was still insane, and, and eventually... Um, uh, the dental board uh, gave me my license back with uh, some provisions, some uh, a, a very pretty serious proba- probationary period with, I think, 20 conditions. And one of the things they wanted me to do was go in, and before they reinstated my license, I needed to get clearance from at least three psychiatrists that I was not insane. And I had to do neuropsych testing and uh, IQ test and all of that stuff. And fortunately, my IQ test came back very high and and all the psychiatrists certified me as being sane. I don't know if there's another dentist in California that can claim to be certified as sane. (laughs) But I I have it. I have documents. (laughs) So anyway, I I got my license back, and uh, little by little I started eliminating the probationary conditions. I think maybe the second or third year of practicing, I could actually start prescribing drugs again, and uh, eventually I got my DEA permit back. And um, um, this time I wasn't insane, I wasn't crazy. I, I just tried to do the best I could and and have work a good program, try to stay uh, spiritually fit, and uh, things <clears throat> have gotten better each year. And 14, almost 15 years into recovery now. And life is good. <coughs> and uh, God has been good to me. And I'm very grateful to be here speaking. Thank you.